welcome back to another episode of Where Nations Rise podcast. We are so lucky to be joined today by Laurie Young, who not only a great friend and a great person who's always giving us good advice, but also a real champion for reducing your waste and climate justice and has lots of wisdom that she can share with us today. To start off, Laura, do you want, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. So I'm Laura. I'm from Glasgow. So Glasgow was put on the map last month hosting COP26. So I feel like I'm from somewhere really famous. And yeah, I'm super into environmental issues. I'm a climate activist, environmental activist. I do loads of stuff online talking about what we can do as individuals and kind of use my academic background. So I studied geography and environmental science and then I did a master's. So I've always like had a passion for this kind of stuff and tried to live it out as an individual and, and see how we can get involved in campaigning. I also work for Tear Fund, who are like a Christian development charity, and I've kind of always sat within their climate change work. And it was really fun to be at COP with them and do some activism. But yeah, I mean, that's like a little nugget of what I do. But in the run up to Christmas, I'm having like a big rest and yeah, just having a bit of time off, but also kind of getting back into activism post COP, which is a kind of different landscape. Thanks so much for fitting us in in your restful time. And I hope that is restful because honestly, Laura does so much. You definitely follow her on Instagram. We'll tag her below. So our starter question is, well, because today is a Christmassy themed podcast, um, the question is, do you have an angel or star on your Christmas tree? Oh, good question. Right now, I don't have a Christmas tree up at the minute, but we have, um, as a family, we used to have this little angel and it was one of those things that every year we put it up and slowly over the years, it kind of got like battered and bruised and it sort of looked like a beaten up angel <laughs> a few years ago. Pretty sure it like lost an eye and like lost an arm and we we're like, oh, this looks a bit grim. So we now have a star and the angel sits somewhere around the back of the tree as like nostalgic, <laughs> but it looks a bit, yeah, worse for wear. So we're, we're a star mm. family now. Oh my gosh, the back of the tree is always like the resolution to so many arguments, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All my like homemade decorations end up at the back of the tree and my sister was like, oh, but Father Christmas can see them there. <laughs> we have a nice wooden star that's like spray painted gold that my dad puts on it every year. And that's like been ever since I was a kid. So I don't know anything different. I think we have similar like we had a star that lit up and like attached to all the Christmas lights but then I think it stopped working and so I think we replaced it with an angel but I was so sad about that star that I just kept <laughs> it in my room. <laughs> had an angel growing up but um, it got lost in, when we moved house or something so now every year I make like a little star out of cardboard that we have around and like tinfoil it just like wraps the cardboard in tinfoil um, and like it looks a bit wonky but you know it works and you know it's homemade and cute I guess. <laughs> Solid. So could you tell us a little bit about what the waste situation is like around Christmas time? Yeah at Christmas time so over the festive period there's so many different statistics that you could take but the one thing we know is it's the most wasteful time of year mostly due to the kind of festive occasions that we have lots of presents lots of wrapping lots of plastic packaging and also lots of food lots of food waste lots of fashion waste lots of party waste 
I also kind of include like Black Friday that feels to kind of like start the festive season for me and that's where we kind of really seem to see this so it's just a real time that I think we waste 30% more than usual it's a real time of year where we can like crack down and try and like make lots of little switches to be more sustainable but also kind of highlight some of these issues um so it's an interesting time of year I always feel one of the reasons I know it's coming up to Christmas because when you, you know when you're walking through the supermarket and you just start to see thousands of those yellow stickers everywhere because it's just like a time that like there's so much stuff everywhere and you know I think that's a real sign for me that the Christmas holidays are just around the corner oh my gosh yeah one year we lost our dog underneath piles of wrapping paper <laughs> oh no <laughs> I can I just like jump in and say also I think is like that kind of time of year where because it only comes around once a year I find myself and I'm sure other people do like making allowances for things like waste and I'd be like oh we only get Christmas once so I'm just gonna let myself buy this thing that comes in plastic or or we were hosting a Christmas dinner and we wanted to make sure that we had enough food for everyone so we're like oh we'll just make sure we get enough and buy loads and loads and then obviously there is waste because we oh my gosh we had so many peas left over (laughs) it was ridiculous (laughs) okay so we've seen a lot about Christmas trees in the news recently And I feel really conflicted and confused. What is the most sustainable? Is that to get a plastic tree and use that every single year? Or what what is the most sustainable way of having a Christmas tree? Mm, Okay, (laughs) I'm glad you rephrased it because my Scrooge answer to when people are like, what's the best Christmas tree? I'm like, well, the best one is not to have one. But nobody wants to hear that. I have a Christmas (laughs) tree. Don't worry, I'm not that much of a Scrooge. But I mean, this is a huge question because obviously if you have a plastic tree, that's been manufactured, that's been made, it's plastic, it might shed plastic, and then it's probably going to end up in landfill or being incinerated. None of that is a good thing. But then if you have a real tree, that's a tree that's been grown, which is good, and then it's chopped down, which is bad. And then if you dispose of it in the wrong way, that can also kind of create different emissions. And then, of course, there's the option that you can get one of these like real Christmas trees or ones that you can pot once you've finished. But if you don't have a garden, how do you plant a Christmas tree? And depending on what kind of tree you get, that might be good or bad for the area that you live in. Or it might just be one that kind of sits in a small pot, but it looks a bit pathetic and we all want to have a nice big Christmas tree. So there's like so many things to think about. It's definitely not a simple option. I I was speaking to my grandparents about this and this is just... Just like the age they're getting to because they've got a plastic tree but they've had this plastic tree for about 30 years and they their phrase is oh but this one will see us out don't you worry like it'll see us out and I'm like oh that's so grim but actually <laughs> it made me think that you know if if everyone has one plastic tree over their lifetime but can maybe pass it on you know if we do take care of them they can be sustainable so if you know anyone has a plastic tree that's all right don't throw it out that'd be the worst thing to do you know I think the thing is always if you've got one keep it look after it try and put it away carefully every year try not wreck it too much and you know don't get bored of it so what me and my family have done the last couple of years is we've got a real Christmas tree but one that we can plant and so we are lucky enough to have like quite a big garden and we can plant it and they are kind of surviving they don't look the healthiest but they are alive so maybe in a few years they'll be blooming I think we've also before opted for these ones that are kind of in big pots so you could just put it back outside but you don't necessarily have to plant it you know it can just live in a pot but the thing I'm quite interested in now is there's this industry of renting a Christmas tree so you rent it in a pot and then they take it back and it gets planted in a proper 
forest area you know like you don't have to take care of it so that's an option I think will become more popular in the next few years and if you're simply wanting to know plastic or real real is always better and then once you're finished with it just make sure you're like council collects it in one of their schemes that they do or that you put it in like a compost bin chopped up we knew you were the right person to get on here. <laughs> I have a long answer, but that is like the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many things there I haven't even like ever thought of, like renting a Christmas tree. Like that makes so so much sense. Yeah. We've mm, got a that. little real tree that lives in a pot in our garden. But the thing is, is like it's a really tiny tree that's wonky on one side because oh. one side is always near like the heater bit in our living room so it like grows little like baby fronds and then the other side is just sort of like dead <laughs> yeah I do I have my own plastic tree but I got when I was literally 10 years old because I saw it in the garden center with my mum and I used to like bring it out and put it in my room every year but I feel like I'm going to try and keep doing that because I'm like it can't just sit under my bed I, I might as well use it since I've got it and that applies to so many things isn't it like if you've already got Tupperware or whatever keep using it you don't need to buy some fancy metal container yeah uh, so I guess We've kind of used these words quite a lot so far, um, but what does it really mean for a product to be ethical or sustainable? That is such a great question. And the answer is nothing. A product doesn't have to be anything to be called ethical, sustainable, green, conscious. But that's one of the problems because these words don't have any sort of thresholds behind them. The classic example is organic. You know, a lot of the time when you look at a product that has organic on it, it has to meet a threshold, whether it's to do with the farming behind the product or the ingredients behind the product. So, you know, when you're buying something organic, whether or not you think the thresholds are high enough, you at least know there's some sort of thing it's had to do to get that certification. But actually phrases like sustainable, ethical, green, they don't really mean anything. It's just words. Natural. That's another one because technically fossil fuels are natural, they appear in the world. And I think it's just become a kind of marketing strategy, I guess. And so for me, if I'm interested in knowing the sustainability behind a product, it just takes a little bit of digging, looking at the ingredients, looking at where it's from, looking at the packaging. That's the really sad thing. It's so hard to kind of spot this sometimes. No, that's really helpful. It is just a word and anyone can stick it on. Mm. I've got I've got this Chrome extension recently, which is called Greenlight. And if I go on a website that it doesn't like, it crops up with like a red thing and tells me why it's bad. Um, and Ooh, I, I'm, that's so cool. I think they like connect it to Good On You, which is like the brand that rates um, fashion brands, but it like, it means it pops up. So I was just being curious about Black Friday, looking on like Pretty Little Thing and all these brands and Greenlight was getting so upset with me. It was like popping up all these things. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you've been hacked. You've been hacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I guess a lot of people who have lis- are listening to this podcast have some sort of interest in sustainability or being more ethical. So they'll have like made small changes to their lives, like carrying around a tote bag instead of buying plastic bags or like not buying plastic bottles and, and stuff like that. And what would you say to them if they were doing all these things, but feeling like it wasn't really making a difference? When we talk about individual changes I don't think anyone who advocates for these myself included no one's trying to kid you on and tell you that you know if you carry a tote bag and use a bamboo toothbrush you're going to change the planet like we know that's not gonna happen because I've changed my whole lifestyle and we're still in a 
climate crisis. But actually what it begins to do is, first of all, give you an outlet for your own kind of energy. And like it gives you a chance to do a bit of research and learn a bit. You know, when I think about my own journey, I started with those lifestyle changes. So whenever anyone knocks them, I'm like, don't knock them because it's what got me to, you know, doing some of the bigger pieces of work that I've done. But it also gave me this sense of like, okay, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to encourage other people along with me to do it. And we're going to begin to see like a shift in kind of society. And I think we have seen, you know, really big change happen. And you can pull it all the way down to individuals being concerned. And institutions are the slowest to change. And that's institutions both both as a government, but also like big business. So I, you know, often think back to the kind of Blue Planet era. And that's when so many people woke up and were just like, plastic is not okay. Like all of that stuff that was on the screen with the turtles and the fish, like that could have been mine. That could have been my plastic bag or my plastic bottle. And, you know, people started changing their habits. And that was back in 2017, 2018. And then slowly, slowly, slowly through the years, we've seen supermarkets making small tweaks and small changes. And we've seen some cafes, you know, changing what they're doing. And now we are starting to get these huge government consultations about single use plastics and we're getting bans on different pieces. And you're like, okay, see, here's the institution slowly starting to follow. And so I think it's just, you know, recognizing that as an individual, you play a part in that kind of domino effect but also recognizing that you've got this sphere of influence and you don't know who's listening or who's watching and who might also take up that action. Flo, did you, so I was just thinking about in psychology, we looked at like social change and they talked about the snowball effect and you probably know a lot more than me, but like how things always start from like small changes in like individuals and it does just grow and grow and grow. So there definitely is power in individual changes. Yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at snowball effects since A-level, but yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. And I think it's so important to try and have that bigger picture because you can get so wrapped up in our own lives and then seeing what our own family and friends are doing and thinking that represents everyone. And like, it actually doesn't. Although we, in my family, we do like um, secret Santa stockings. So everyone writes a list of like a couple of ideas of what they want in their stocking, like into the main group chat because no one knows who's doing their stocking because it's all like secret Santa. And like three people put shampoo bars and that wouldn't have happened a few years ago. So that was really encouraging. But it, it does make you think like me and my brothers-in-law and one of my sisters using a shampoo bar instead of regular shampoo, like what does that actually do? But trying to keep that bigger picture of how all these things work together is that enough and like yeah how can we make changes that aren't to do with what individual acts but to do with more like politics and campaigns and community do you got any advice around that sure I think it's about engaging with the different spaces that you sit in you know I remember hearing a really great guy called Fraser Stewart who's this like Scottish climate activist and he was talking about you know we're all best placed in our own local communities to talk to our local communities and that's not just geographically like around where you live it's also if you're in a sports team or if you're in a society or if you have a certain hobby or have a faith or whatever you're in these little groups which you know best and you can try and influence so you know, I remember thinking about in 2020, you know, this is probably, it was, this was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Because in 2020, I decided not to fly. I don't know anyone who took a flight in 2020, but I'm still proud that I didn't. <laughs> but actually I was like, you know, as an individual, I'm not going to fly this year. I then did it again this year. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to fly. Still, that was pretty easy. But that was like an individual change that I made. But actually what I can also do is talk to the other spheres that I'm sitting in about this and see what we can do. And my employer actually put in a policy, not just 
because of me. Actually, there was a group of people long before I even started working where I work um, campaigning for this. They decided to ban internal UK flights. They said, if you're traveling on staff time, you're not flying whilst in the kind of British Isles, which makes total sense. And that was actually a decision that was made because a few individuals who were passionate about this and had maybe made their own personal pledges decided to put it to the organization to say, you know, we we can do this. Like this is a really good policy we could make. So if you are at a university, you know, how can you talk to your university about putting in policies that would be much beyond just an individual, but could be kind of top down and encourage more people alongside you? And then that goes like all the way up. So you can think about what are some of the local issues that you can engage with? You know, I've got an MSP and an MP here in Scotland. So like, who, who can I talk to about the issues that I'm passionate about and what's some of the biggest change? And the more you do that, the more people you'll bring along as well. And you can kind of build up a movement, a mini movement of people who care about this. And I think that's often where we see that big change is when individuals just come together and want to do some community action. And there's been so many amazing examples of that. Like we've just heard the news that Shell's pulled out of the Campbell oil field. And that was because a few people who were passionate about this in their individual lives found out about this, started a campaign and did loads of different actions. But that's the kind of thing you can get involved with. And individual actions are a part of that. That's so cool that like Tier Fund supported that because I think sometimes doing individual things can feel like it's like taxing on our own lives or it's costing more, taking more time or like it would take a whole day of a train if you had to go from one side of the UK to another. But if that's on your staff time or something, then that makes so much sense. Yeah, and it was cool that it was a group of you in the organisation because I feel like a lot of the time when we make individual choices, it can be really isolating and we're putting all this effort in and kind of going on from that. Obviously, we want these bigger system changes to happen. Yeah, do you have any advice on how we go about doing that and how we hold them accountable, both practically and like, I guess, in theory? I don't know. Loads of different ways. There's, you know, kind of small ways you can do things, giving feedback. You know, I kind of talk about like boring activism, but it's still something that's, you know, really important. You can submit feedback to the brands you love and particularly smaller brands. You know, they really want to listen to their customer base. And if you send them an email, fill out a feedback form, that can often lead to a lot of change until their customers ask for it. They're never going to implement something that they don't think will bring in money or bring in new customers or keep existing customers And everything from that to then, you know, doing stuff online, I think there's been really amazing activism that happened, particularly in the last couple of years when everyone seems to be stuck indoors because of COVID, that we were all just on social media a bit more. But actually loads of, you know, examples of people tweeting and commenting and, you know, posting on social media to hold brands accountable for maybe mistakes or greenwashing or whatever it might be. Obviously, that's a lot harder when you get to the kind of huge brands. But for me, that's probably where I draw the line and say, well, actually, the bigger brands are the ones that aren't as sustainable anyway. And I'm just going to actually move my money elsewhere. I think boycotting is a really good tactic or at least for my own mental health I was like I'm just not going to put my money towards these brands because they're a bigger fish that needs fried and they can do that through other means to talk about tear fund again I feel it's like there's so many examples within where I work but a couple of years ago they ran a campaign called the rubbish campaign and it was kind of targeting the four biggest plastic producers you know coke pepsi unilever nestle Right. If I tweeted them, nothing would ever happen. They'd never get back. You know, like they're multi-billion dollar pound industries. Like, you know, they're hard to get at. But actually by signing this petition, like adding my name to something else, Tier Funds campaign, like really took off and got thousands of signatures. And they still, because I work there, I know this, 
they still have regular meetings with all four of those companies to talk about plastic, to talk about waste pickers overseas, to talk about all this different stuff. And they are slowly chipping away at that. And so it's also realising that even just adding your name to something, a petition or something, can can help a bigger organisation fight that fight over there. And then you can just do the little things that you can. That's so cool. I never think of like, by signing a petition, I'm giving that, I, I just think, oh yeah, if all of us sign this and all of us do this and all of us do that but it's actually contributing towards the power that the organization who's doing the petition has that's yeah. a really cool way of thinking about it and I think sometimes it's just about you know it's about ammunition you know if I was to storm up to the doors of coca-cola and go I really care about the planet have a meeting with me they'd be like no but if you turn up and go I really care about the planet and so does these 100,000 people that have signed this petition they're going to kind of prick their ears up or a million or two million, you know, like, like they, of course, they're going to pay attention because they're going to be like, oh, that's potentially customers or that's potentially a lot of noise. That's the slack. That's where slacktivism comes in. It's, it's a second of your time, but it can have a real impact somewhere else. And that's why, you know, anytime someone says me a petition, I'm always like, yes, I'll sign it. Of course I will. Like it's the easiest thing in the world to help you with the work that you want to do. That's amazing. And I think it's called climate trolling or something. I don't know, like trolling big companies. I love doing it in like the comment sections on Instagram because like, I think, I don't know, it was earlier this year or last year or something and H&M posted some greenwashing thing. Yeah. Uh, and we all commented in the in the comment section, obviously. Um, <laughs> and um, they eventually took the post down just because they were getting so much bad press. And I guess people who follow the H&M account, because I didn't follow the H&M account because, you know, greenwashing. But like people who do follow that account see these comments and they're like, have second thoughts about supporting that company. And even if it doesn't stop greenwashing, that's one more person who may be reconsidering buying from them. Um, so the next question, I guess, also leads on because once we've kind of got brands to listen, it's sometimes hard to tell if they're just being performative in the way that they respond. I don't know. Greenwashing is a term that's floating around a lot. I wonder, if, could you explain a bit about what greenwashing is and how we can tell where the line is between greenwashing and brands actually making a difference and taking good steps towards being more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, greenwashing simply is making something look more eco-friendly than it is. It's it's a lie and it's an over-exaggeration. Because I guess the reason I say it's a lie is because sometimes it's just so not, it's just not true. Or other times it might just be a real kind of exaggeration of something that it maybe was good, but they've totally over-egged it. And yeah, it's gone too far. And I guess it's always hard to spot it. To take fashion as an example... When we talk about fashion being unsustainable, yes, the fabric is important. And yes, the production, the manufacturing, the packaging, the shipping is important. But the main thing about fashion that's unsustainable is the scale. It's the speed and the scale and the mass production and overconsumption. That's the bit that's unsustainable. So if all of a sudden the biggest high street brands are using 100% cotton instead of polyester or using natural dyes, whatever that means, instead of synthetic dyes, but they're still producing the same amount of clothes, that's still unsustainable, no matter the change. Because what we need to do is we need to talk about scale. In my real book, the way I do it is, if it's a high street brand, it's greenwashing because they just can't at the scale, they just can't be sustainable. And that's something we know It's their model. It's not what they're using. If it's a smaller brand or if it's a brand they think, no, I actually do think they're making a lot of change. Sometimes I look at their track record. I kind of go back and think, well, even just anecdotally, 10 years ago, what did they look like as a company? Have they come on really far or do they look pretty similar? They're just, they've maybe got a new line out of something, you know, kind of think about what's their track record been? Have they campaigned about issues before or is there this is this the first time of doing it? 
I also look at, you know, what are they messaging? So again, let's take a fashion brand, whatever brand you want. Say they suddenly go, we're shipping carbon neutral. We plant a tree with every order and we're using paper packaging, hashtag sustainable. I'll be like, mate, what about the clothes? You know, are they talking about our bottles are now 100% recyclable? Or are they saying we've actually completely removed plastic from our supply chain? And I think it's just about having a little, like sometimes just taking a step back and seeing it. But also I think I've got quite a few trusted people online and in real life. So I think, what are they saying about this issue? You know, is it a big thing that's hit the news? What's their opinion? Do they shop with them? Do they follow them? And ask around, you know, there's been lots of brands that have got in touch with me and I'm like, I just can't sense check it. Normally that's a bad thing. If I can't work it out, I think, okay, they're probably not sustainable, but I do sense check it. I send it to other people and go, have you seen this brand before? What do you think? This is what they've said. This is the sustainability report they've got on their website. Does it look totally biased or what do you think? And, but yeah, I think for me, the golden rule is always like the smaller brands, the better, the better track record. Are they really going at it through their whole supply chain or are they just picking a few periphery issues to talk about? I mean, the, the classic one was the H&M conscious range, which was just an extra range of clothes. They didn't take anything else away. And so I was like, so you're just making more, but calling it conscious, like even that alone, it just took two seconds to work out. So I think that's always something. It's just about looking at the bigger picture sometimes and then bringing in other people, like send me a DM if you're not sure, I'll do some digging for you. That's so helpful because I've definitely fallen for greenwashing and the H&M conscious line I fell for back in well it was quite a long time ago yeah I'm very annoyed at myself but <laughs> it was fair yeah. though I mean like it's good marketing and like you know big brands have the best in the business when it comes to marketing and advertising and so of course like you know it is really like it's great you know I even remember there was a funny one that was like Starbucks designed a new cup that didn't have to have a straw and they did this whole big thing about you know this cup now doesn't need a straw but it had a sort of like sippy cup lid I guess so that it didn't touch your teeth you know that whole thing about like anyway but their their whole brand was we've now got rid of straws so like isn't this great because we've now got this special cup that's been designed that means you don't need one and someone just simply weighed the old cup with a straw and the new one and went do you know that this new cup has more grams of plastic though? So you've created something that doesn't need a straw, but you're using more plastic to do it. And they were just like, you just need to think simply about like, what are you actually trying to achieve? You're just doing something with marketing rather than actually saying, how can we reduce our plastic use? So honestly, there's some right funny things that happen, but we do like, we fall for it because it's clever and it's good. And like credit to people who, you know, are good at their jobs, but sometimes they're too good (laughs) and we all fall for it. Yeah, I think we love what's convenient, don't we? And so mm-hmm. then if you see a brand that is easily accessible and they're doing something great, it's like, oh my gosh, brilliant, great. I don't have to like do this extra digging. Yeah. Laura, you mentioned that you have a couple of people who you turn to. You're definitely the person that we turn to. We're now going to try and scoot back to Christmas because we've gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wrote this question because it's something that I struggle with. And it's how can I like make it clear to people that I would like presents if they're going to buy me a present I'd like it to be something that's sustainable or like plastic free without being rude (laughs) that's a great question so I'm probably my four Christmases in I guess to being really serious about this and my family have now got it and I think I just had to give them a, a bit of grace because, you know, particularly my grand, like she loves giving people presents. And, you know, what the first year I really said, like, please don't get me anything. Honestly, like just spending Christmas with you is enough. She was like, I really like I really want to get you something. And she, she felt kind of sad, you know, because she was like, that's her way of showing love. And, you know, she just wants to get you something. But now we've got to the point where she very much knows, like, 
I'll either give you money for something you want or you know she'll be like can you buy yourself something and just you know that sort of thing sometimes it's also just about sitting down with your family and saying okay you know I really want whatever it might be let's find it together and either you can like buy it in that moment or let them buy you it in their own time and sometimes it's just about you know helping also show them because if you say that you are really looking for a new pair of shoes or a new you know gadget or whatever you're looking for but you want it to be sustainable sometimes people have got no clue where to start do you know what I mean like they'd just be sitting stressing like I have no idea what's sustainable and maybe they don't want to get you something that's not up to the, the mark that you've set and, and it can sometimes get a bit nerve-wracking so I think often it's just about saying, let me help you find, or like, here's a few options that I've found if you really want to get me something. And that's always kind of what I've done. And I think also over the years, you might also be able to show people what sustainable presents are, because I still buy a few presents throughout the year for people's birthdays or Christmases. And then it gives them ideas like, oh, I wouldn't even have thought of buying that. Like I just bought my brother and sister-in-law their Christmas present uh, and it was tickets to a comedian. Like I bought it this morning, double checked with them that they were free and I bought the tickets so they know what they're getting. But they were like, oh yeah, I forgot we could like buy tickets to things. I mean, I'm hoping COVID's not a thing by then, but you know, it's, it's like, sometimes it's just about, you know, you showing also what good presents are and how you can do things a little differently nice thank you it is hard because they're obviously trying their best and they just want to like buy your present and love you but then yeah yeah in my family it's now become like a like a bit of a joke and a bit of a competition as to who can get for the most sustainable thing um obviously like I'm so lucky like I've got a big family and so lucky they want to get me stuff but they like had a kind of competition over who would do the most sustainable wrapping paper and my mum had bought this recycled wrapping paper from Oxfam that had bees on it but my sister had used you know that toilet paper that comes wrapped in paper like who gives a crap oh, yeah he'd wrapped it up in some of that so she won the competition and it was just kind of funny that it can also have a fun element to it as well if people decide they're going to go for it but also it's that thing of still being grateful for things that you're given that you would actually maybe have bought and still using them and like maybe reusing that plastic wrapping paper or whatever it was yeah present giving is a weird one because it's it's such a lovely thing that brings the family together and you don't want to cause any awkwardness but also presents are like isn't it something like 30% I read somewhere of presents like don't even get used and Mm. so you might as well get people stuff they're gonna want and be sustainable and yeah I guess that kind of goes back to what we were saying about trees earlier as well like if you've already got something keep it and love it and use it Mm. yeah so if we are buying people for presents do you have any like brands that you would recommend for like looking at sustainable presents also maybe thinking about affordability because like something I hear a lot about sustainability is oh it's too expensive so yeah what are your thoughts on that I think when I buy gifts now I always try and buy something that's not physical and try and think a bit kind of like out the box of of what I'm giving so you know I mentioned getting like comedian tickets for me and my brother and sister-in-law you know trying to find things like that and actually they end up not being that expensive you know because sometimes when you buy a present it can easily end up being like 40 50 60 pounds by the time you've realized how much you've bought or you might buy it like we extra things and it all kind of adds up whereas you know I think I got them tickets for like 30 quid each and I'm like that's probably cheaper than what I would normally spend and so sometimes you can find some great bargains also for those presents where sometimes you feel like you have to buy someone something but you don't really want to spend too much money or you're on a budget, I always think about, you know, what are some of the really thoughtful things I can do that are still a gift, but aren't necessarily a thing. You know, I used to make like massive batches of 
delicious shortbread and I'd like go around charity shops and find like Christmas themed tins because they always have tons of these like tins everywhere and would like put them all in them and like give them out if I've ever had a friend that's like teetered on the edge of trying a sustainable swap or has been interested I would maybe like take the plunge for them and buy them a shampoo bar or like a voucher for I just had a friend who's well she's about to pop she's due tomorrow so maybe by the time this is out there will be a baby in the world but like I bought them a voucher for a joint baby and Christmas gift and it's like a kid's rental clothes shop so like one of the things I always hear young families talk about is like oh we got all these new clothes for our baby and they didn't even wear half of them because they suddenly grew and you know like they had all these clothes so it's like a little rental place that you rent the clothes you want and so you can get them whenever that was something different because it was a voucher but they can also get clothes out of it but it's rented so it's nothing like it's not loads of waste or anything so sometimes it's just about thinking like what would you normally get and how could you maybe get it a little bit differently that's such a good idea my sister was talking about renting a dress for a party next year yeah. so maybe like Christmas present could be like a voucher for that or something. yeah it's really cool but it's been so so great have you got any like final brilliant sustainable Christmas tips mm, I mean I think just like be sensible this Christmas time I always you know I always find every year that like the best part of Christmas is spending time with people like that's always you know my favorite part and you know I even remember as a kid like bringing up your presents after Christmas and they'd sit on a chair for like the next month and you'd never actually look at them and you'd kind of find things throughout the year so like just honestly remember that Christmas is about more than the stuff and um just kind of think about how you can do it differently but my challenge every year is always about the food like we've not even really spoken about food but like food is a huge way we can like still have fun and celebrate with people but like think a bit differently and try and avoid the waste at the end but also like think about how we can you know we're gonna experiment in our house having a vegan Christmas and I'm like don't I'm dreading it it's gonna be awful like it's gonna be awful because everyone's already miserable about it but we're gonna have fun we're gonna just try it and, and see how it goes but like you know it's all the just ways of like still have joy still have fun um like don't ever feel like constrained by it and just remember like as long as you've got the people around you like that's that's the most important bit and like don't get too worried about like what you're going to get people like you know at the end of the day it's Christmas it's fun be merry all that kind of stuff amazing good luck with your vegan Christmas oh, don't. <laughs> I'm so nervous <laughs> what are you gonna do instead like as the meat alternative this so this is the big thing because we're not sure whether to do like a meat alternative so like a vegan like fake turkey kind of thing or just go for something totally different like we saw a recipe for like a mushroom wellington like do we just go something totally different or do we try and replace a turkey with something that's like turkey but not quite turkey and we're not sure what will go down i'm just thinking what will be less horrible and then we'll go with, <laughs> go with that option last year i did like a wellington with like beetroot all down the Ooh, middle okay. and then it was like chestnuts and yeah and but and uh butternut squash and then all wrapped in pastry and that was so yummy and everyone was having a little bit of that yeah yeah <laughs> I'm happy to send you the recipe or something yeah please do yeah that sounds really good I always just end up with Linda McCartney sausages <laughs> oh we love Linda McCartney sausages oh. Oh, that's sad <laughs> no I'm very much like I'm eating something nice so I'll just cook it and anyone else can have some of it although I think I'm technically gonna have to be vegetarian for Christmas because it's like too much of an ask to be vegan over Christmas um mm. but like I'll still if I'm cooking cook vegan for the fam and everything it's gonna yeah. be fun yeah oh
so thanks for listening everyone and thank you laura for have, coming on the podcast it's been really cool to like hear all the stuff you have to say and like i've learned a lot so yeah thank you and this is our last episode for the year so thanks to everyone who's listened so far and make sure to follow if you haven't and like follow us on instagram and everything and we hope you have a really good christmas and new year and that you have lots of like rest and good times with people you love Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> See you in 2022. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh.